Hello, America, and welcome to a new edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News, where we are six days away from Election Day, the momentous uh, election of 2020. After all the calamity we've had, whether it be COVID or riots or police shootings, all the things that have dominated our headlines, uh, hurricane after hurricane, the single most important event of 2020 is coming to pass, Election Day, where the leader of the free world for the next four years will be uh, chosen. And in honor of that uh, milestone, we're so close away uh, 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 from that moment, we are going to bring in Phil Klein, one of the lawyers on the front lines of adjudicating a lot of the ballot issues that are going on in this pandemic-impacted election. Phil uh, comes to us from Liberty University. He works for the Thomas More Society. And he is challenging, uh, several, uh, filing several of the more important lawsuits, one of them involving Mark Zuckerberg's effort to intervene in the election by giving $400 million to local voting um, jurisdictions uh, with strings attached, uh, money paying for the judges who will decide whether ballots count or not. And ironically, the pattern of money early on, at least, that Zuckerberg was um, uh, distributing were all targeted at Democratic strongholds, a sort of a modern-day oligarch trying to intervene in our election. Certainly that's a storyline that uh, Phil Klein has developed with his lawsuit and his evidence, and uh, he just got documents out of one case in uh, Pennsylvania that really show how Zuckerberg's group targets the money and what strings they attach to ensure that they get their bang for their buck, Zuckerberg being a big liberal, uh, a big Democratic donor, no doubt what uh, outcome he wants from this election. So we're going to talk to Phil Klein about the litigation, about the documents, about the other issues that are likely to come up uh, in the next uh, four or five days as early voting ends and final in-day in-person voting uh, starts. A lot to be uh, asked about. There's also a development, an important development we're going to tell you about in a few seconds that my colleague Daniel Payne has at the Postal Service and postmarks on ballots, a very important piece of information we're going to give you. But first, we're going to go to our great sponsors, our great advertisers here at Just the News at John Solomon Reports, hear from them, and then we'll come right back and give you a couple of uh, news scoops before we get to our interview with Phil Klein. We'll be right back. Hey, folks, you know what? A small regret is slouching in the dentist chair thinking, I should have brushed and flossed better. A big health regret is listening to your doctor and thinking, I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. I have that regret a lot. Better health today and when it matters most is why I take Field of Greens. Field of Greens is unlike any fruit and vegetable or green product. Field of Greens isn't watered down extracts. Field of Greens is an organic superfood. It's whole fruits and vegetables. Each fruit and vegetable was selected by doctors to support vital body functions like heart, liver, kidneys, metabolism, and of course, your immune system. And only Field of Greens is backed by a better health promise. At your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or you're gonna get your money back. Don't look back and say, I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. Field of Greens is a key to better health today, right now, and when it matters most. Let's get you started with 15% off and free shipping. All you got to do is visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS at checkout. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. All right, folks, so much to talk about over the last several days, and we wanted to... 
uh, bring you up to speed on the latest on the Biden family scandals. Uh, last night, to- Tony Bobolinsky, the former CEO of a company that Hunter Biden, the Biden family was involved with on a China venture in 2017, dropped a big bombshell revealing that he met directly with Joe Biden twice in 2017 about this Chinese investment. It means that Joe Biden was in on his son's um, business dealings. And why is that important? He was out of office, right? He wasn't vice president because Joe Biden has told us a simple lie. He has said he never had conversations about his son's business. We are now finding a lot of evidence to the contrary. Tony Bobolinsky's interview with Tucker Carlson on Fox News brought to light a lot of information about how this deal with communist China uh, went down and the fact that Joe Biden was directly involved, not once, but twice in the discussions around the formation of this company called Sinohawk. Now, there have been so many revelations like that over the last uh, 10 days. Uh, We've got the hard drive that Rudy Giuliani made public. We've got the uh, emails that uh, one or more of um, Hunter Biden's former business associates have made public authenticated emails. Uh, We've got Bobolinsky's own emails and text messages that he's made public. And I thought it would be helpful today to pull all these things together and simplify it because you got a whole bunch of names, a whole bunch of countries, Kazakhstan, Russia, China. Uh, You've got all these different developments. And I thought it would be very uh, useful to try to narrow down or simplify what are the seven big issues that really are involved in the Biden family business empire, the scandal, the controversy now surrounding it. So this morning, I I put that together for you on justinnews.com. The headline is, Biden family scandal, colon, seven uncomfortable realities confronting the Democratic nominee. And uh, one of the the big points of this story that I hope everyone takes from it is that the evidence that is emerging is not coming from Russian disinformation like the Democrats tried to cry. That's an old cry wolf thing. It's getting so old now. I think most Americans know to tune it out. But it's not coming from Russian um, uh, disinformation or Russian hacking. The new evidence about Joe Biden is coming from his son Hunter's, former business partners, associates, the repairman who fixed his hard drive. This is from inside the family business institutions. And that gives it a lot of credibility. Uh, when you hear someone say Russia, just tune it out because in this case, it is just not true. But I want to boil down, when you take all of the evidence that comes off the hard drive from Bobolinsky, the hard drive from the repairman in Delaware, the emails from some of the co-defendants in the Devin Archer criminal case, um, there are... I think seven important areas, and and really I'd throw an eighth and I didn't put the story, but it's really important to remember Hunter Biden, while he was, uh, his father was vice president, was in business with somebody who now is a convicted felon. Devin Archer, the guy who joined him on the Burisma board that put together a lot of the companies that do the business deals with China, Kazakhstan, Russia. Um, Well, Devin Archer was convicted of fraud by a jury. A a judge tried to throw it out. The appeals court said she had no basis. So at this moment, he is a convicted felon awaiting prison sentencing. That alone speaks volumes about this business empire that was operating right below Joe Biden's nose uh, while he was vice president. And I want you to keep that in mind because I think that's important. All right, now let me get to the seven points. The first is Joe Biden has said not a single thing was out of line at all when um, uh, when all these questions have come up about Hunter Biden himself is dealing with his son's business. Uh, that is not true, according to the facts. If you trust the State Department, people like George Kent, Maria Ivanovich, who worked for Joe Biden in Ukraine, 
they said that things weren't in line. In fact, they divulged uh, that they believed as State Department officials in Ukraine and the front lines, that Hunter Biden working for Burisma Holdings, a company under corruption investigation, while his father, uh, as the vice president, oversaw anti-corruption policy in Ukraine, constituted the appearance of a conflict of interest that undercut the U.S. policies in Ukraine. Sent a confusing message to the Ukrainians. And I just want to read um, two things. George Kent was a deputy chief of mission. He was the bow tie guy at the impeachment proceedings. Here's an email uh, he wrote to um, the State Department, from the State Department, to Joe Biden's staff in 2015, warning about what Joe Biden was doing, the fact that he was allowing his son to work there while he continued to preside over anti-corruption. George Kent wrote in September um, 2016, the presence of Hunter Biden on the Burisma board was very awkward for all U.S. officials pushing an anti-corruption agenda in Ukraine. That's a direct email that Just the News has obtained. You can read on our site. He then testified just a few weeks ago to the Senate um, Homeland Security Committee, and he, he expounded about what it has. And he said, why was he concerned? He had pointed out that he had gone to Joe Biden's staff in 2015, tried to report these concerns, but he was turned away. And he said, I said that I had learned that Hunter Biden had been appointed to a board of this company that had just raised U.S. concerns about the owner of the company, who we believe to have been engaged in money laundering. So he brings that to the vice president. He gets rebuffed, and, and he, he goes on to testify. The bottom line, Ken said, was I, what I said is I believe that this created the perception of a potential conflict of interest given vice president's role and his very strong advocacy for anti-corruption action, and I thought that someone needed to talk to Hunter Biden and he should step down from the board of Burisma. In other words, Joe Biden didn't make his son give up this uh, portfolio at Burisma, and Joe Biden didn't recuse himself from it, and as a result, he created a conflict of interest for the very people he uh, was trying to impose an anti-corruption uh, policy for in Ukraine, and they and and for our State Department officials, it, they called it not. That's not my word. It's the State Department officials' word. Awkward. So when he says everything was in line, State Department officials who worked for him did not think everything was in line. Now, there's another reason, a second reason, number two, that we now know for certain from the recent revelations that have come out, that things weren't in line. And that is on two occasions, the uh, State Department reported to the FBI that they believed that Burisma had made bribery payments to Ukrainian officials to try to make the corruption investigation against this company go away during the very time Hunter Biden was on the board and had a fiduciary responsibility to govern this company. So that's the second thing that is now not one of those bribe payments was believed to have been made on or around December 2014. The second was on believed to be made on around 2016. I give you the documents, the real time State Department's documents inside during this time frame that lay out the concerns about these two bribe payments. You can read them yourselves. You don't take my mind for it. But when Joe Biden says everything was in line in Burisma, guess what? It wasn't. Our State Department saw a conflict of interest by the Biden family, and they saw Hunter Biden's company, Burisma, making two uh, bribery payments to make corruption investigations go away. You can't forget that. These are documented. These are not supposition, rumor, conspiracy theories. They are flat-out written in stone and the documents that I put in this story. The third reason to be concerned, Joe Biden claimed he did not discuss his son's business, but in fact, that claim is now, that 
on the record claim that Joe Biden has made is contradicted by four, not one, not two, not three, but four direct pieces of evidence that appear unchallenged by the Biden campaign. The first occurred in 2011 when some Chinese businessmen uh, Hunter Biden was working with um, came forward and had a meeting at the White, at the, at the, uh, White House with Joe Biden in 2011. That occurred. The second occurred in 2013 when Hunter Biden rode aboard Air Force Two with his dad, went to Beijing, introduced his father to the businessman that would st- help him start a $1.5 billion um, Chinese investment fund. The third time occurred in 2015 when an email on the hard drive that was taken to that famous Delaware computer shop, it shows that um, Hunter Biden arranged for his dad to meet with the uh, a senior executive of Burisma, the corrupt Ukraine company. And then Thursday night, just or Tuesday night, just last night, uh, Tony Bobolinsky, the CEO that we just talked about from Sinohawk on that China venture, he reveals that he twice met with Joe Biden to talk about the China business dealings of 2017 with Hunter Biden. Those four documents, those four claims, undercut directly what Joe Biden has said, that he never had a conversation about his son's business. It does not look like the vice president has told us the truth. And if there's nothing untoward, why would the vice president have a concern telling the American people the truth about this? All right, fourth thing. Evidence, there is evidence suggesting Joe Biden had a secret stake in Hunter Biden's business world. These are documents that Tony Bobolinsky made public. He validates showing that Joe Biden was entitled to a 10% stake in uh, the uh, Chinese um, business deal in 2017 where Joe Biden meets. Uh, there are documents, corporate documents, that clearly delineate the ownership uh, stake. And it appears that Joe Biden was designed to get a silent 10% stake in this Chinese company. Very important. Basically, half of what Hunter Biden was entitled to get was being earmarked for Joe Biden. That's a document Joe Biden hasn't addressed. Uh, we need to find out if that turns out to be true. Uh, we, we also know that Joe Biden, not in dispute, um, leveraged a $1 billion loan guarantee to Ukraine and said, if you don't fire the prosecutor, the chief prosecutor of the company, you're not getting the billion dollars. That's not in dispute. It's also not in dispute that at the time Joe Biden did that, that prosecutor was investigating Burisma and even had plans to call his son as a witness. Um, that goes back, I think, to that very first issue. We talked about the conflict of interest, but that uh, issue has not been resolved by Joe Biden. His explanation does not add up to the um, facts that we have. Um, sixth thing that I want to point out to you, Blue Star. We've talked about them a lot on this thing. It's Blue Star Strategies, a Democratic firm hired by Burisma, Hunter Biden, to lobby the State Department. The pressure they were putting on the State Department before Joe Biden uh, fired that prosecutor is enormous. Take a look at those documents. You learn a lot from uh, what uh, that was going on there. There was a pressure campaign invoking Hunter Biden impacting this investigation. All right, the seventh and final question is what I call the national security question. Uh, while much of the attention about Burisma, particularly in others, Russia, China, uh, has surrounded Hunter Biden making money on his father's you know, vice presidency, one of the questions that often doesn't get raised enough, it was raised in the Senate report by Ron Johnson, Chuck Grassley, is that these transactions, doing business with the communist Chinese, with military people with ties to the military PLA in China, with a corrupt oligarch in uh, Ukraine and a Russian oligarch who's been accused of making her money um, through illicit means, uh, all of these business deals created a national security compromising position for the Biden family. And the real question is, did the Treasury Department, the State Department, the Intelligence Committee do anything to check those out? We don't know. 
All we know is that when the FBI subpoenaed the hard drive, the alleged purported hard drive for Hunter Biden in 2019, uh, when the repairman in, in Delaware agreed to turn it over to the FBI, they listed money laundering as one of the predicates or causes or concerns for which they were uh, launching an investigation. But it's been a year now. What has happened with that investigation, we do not know. So those are seven really simple points, the most important reasons why you should be concerned about the Biden family business scandal, uh, all based on the most recent revelations of the last six weeks or so. I try to boil it down, make it simple for you. I hope you enjoy that story. You can share it with your friends, put it on Facebook, on Twitter. I think people will... uh, enjoy it. All right, we're going to come right back to Phil Klein in just a second. Uh, But one quick thing, I just want to set this up because we're going to ask Phil Klein about it. Uh, We at Just the News, our good colleague Daniel Payne, just obtained uh, a postal letter today from the Postal Service to Congress saying, listen, every ballot, even if it was sent by, by a prepaid envelope, every ballot will have a postmark on it. The Postal Service will make sure that. Now, normally commercial mail that's prepaid doesn't get a postmark on it. But in this case, there have been millions of ballots that were uh, prepaid in prepaid envelopes. And the Postal Service says, we will assure you everything that's a ballot is going to get that postmark on the letter, uh, on the ballot. This way, uh, if you are worried on Election Day whether a ballot is real or someone slipped in it, you'll be able to tell. If it doesn't have a postmark on it, the Postal Service is insisting it did not come to the Postal Service. It was not properly mailed. Very important a uh, very important uh, development on the record from the Postal Service. If this election ends up in the courts, this letter will be an important piece of evidence. All right, we're going to talk to Phil Klein about that right after the other side of this commercial break. Remember, if you like Just the News, if you like John Solomon Reports, remember to support all of our great advertisers, our sponsors. Uh, there's so many to name. You know them all. My Pillow, uh, Kansas City Steaks, um, Uh, just so many great people that I forget to mention all the time. If you hear their ad on this show, you know they're supporting us. Buy their products, check out their services. Let them know that Just the News sent you using the special promo codes we have, which is usually Just News, one word. Uh, But we love what they do for us. We love their products. I'm a big uh, customer of all of their products. I love them. I hope you do too and can support them because every time you support them, you're helping to support justthenews.com and John Solomon reports. All right, when we come back from the commercial break, it is time to talk to Phil Klein, a lawyer on the front lines of the ballot counting battles across America. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very special guest, a man on the front lines of the ballot integrity uh, battles that we're facing heading into November 3rd. Phil Klein is a former uh, attorney general of Kansas. He is a professor at the Liberty University Law School, and he is the director of the Amistad Project at the Thomas More Society, which has taken the lead on many of the biggest uh, voter 
uh, ballot uh, questions facing uh, we're facing in court right now. Phil, welcome to the show. Thanks, John. Great to be with you. Uh, it's great to have you on. So bring us up to speed on some of the most important lawsuits that you've brought and where they stand in the federal courts. Well, right now we are witnessing an unprecedented effort to influence the election through the Mark Zuckerberg, Priscilla Chan initiative in which they have given, in fact, John, they matched the federal government's appropriation this spring in the CARES Act to help states handle the election during COVID. The federal government appropriated $400 million to states to assist, and Mark Zuckerberg matched it. We have a shadow government. And and the concern here is this. He is giving those monies to um, political operatives from uh, President Obama, who formed a group called the Center for Tech and Civic Life. And these individuals have teamed up with Zuckerberg. And also, I don't know if you're familiar with David Plouffe, who was Obama's campaign manager. He went to work with Mark Zuckerberg and Priscilla Chan after leaving the Obama administration and helped them with the placement of their charitable dollars. And David Plouffe wrote a book that was published in March of this year entitled The Citizen's Guide to Defeating Donald Trump. And in it, he gives a roadmap. And key to that roadmap, he writes, is that the 2020 election might come down to a block-by-block street fight to turn out the votes in Minneapolis, Detroit, and Philadelphia. So now this $400 million is contributed by Zuckerberg. $50 million of it goes, goes through another charity to help government with tech. $350 million goes to this CTCL group, which then is picking out cities and counties and telling them, we will give you money, but you have to run the election our way, the way we tell you to do it. We are privatizing the government function of running elections. And just in federal court in Pennsylvania, I want to say it was 10 days ago, through a court order, they, uh, Philadelphia, the city, was forced to turn up documents and turn them over to us. Right. And, and, and here's what these documents show. They say that Zuckerberg money came in there with all kinds of strings attached. Um, amongst them, Philadelphia, they ordered to have 800 polling places for this election. That is 690 more than they had in the primary. So 800 polling locations. And additionally, that they would have satellite offices, mobile ballot pickup units, where they could deputize activists to go out and pick up ballots. And by calling them satellite offices, the county of Philadelphia, which is the city as well, is rejecting the ability of poll watchers to be present, saying that they can only be at polling places, not satellite offices, even though these offices are where people are voting now. They're not allowing people to watch what they're doing. And the Zuckerberg money is paying the election judges and the election workers, the people who determine what ballots will be counted and what the final tally is, are being paid, at least partially, if not wholly, by this flow of funds. So this is deeply concerning. You know, we've we've invited billionaires into the counting room. Yeah, and we what they did in uh, oligarchical this. societies. We sort of have the beginning yeah. of our own oligarchy here, don't we? Yeah, with the control of information flow, the censoring of information, and then controlling the election process. Those are two of the key uh, uh, points of authority 
that anybody who's trying to consolidate power needs to control, and that is the flow of information and how elections are managed. It's, uh, it is a remarkable story. We've been very fortunate because we've been working with your team and others uh, to stay on top of the story at justthenews.com. We've had about four or five stories about Zuckerberg's initiative, starting with the first $250 million, then the additional $150 million, then uh, these documents that you obtained, and then you filed lawsuits in four states, correct? Well, we're up to eight states eight now. now. Okay. And, and we have nine lawsuits in eight states. They are moving forward towards trial. Unfortunately, one of the things that has happened here, and it is a good bet on behalf of Mr. Zuckerberg and his advisors, and that is that the election and the flow of money will move more swiftly than the courts. Wow. And and that is what it's happening. You know, it's it's really, John, unprecedented. I mean, stunning. I, we go back, uh, let's go back to the beginning of the internet. Who would have imagined at this time in American history that a person, one individual, would have sufficient wealth to match what the federal government is appropriating for an election? Yeah, it's pretty remarkable. Now, there's a pattern to where Zuckerberg gives the money. I, I remember reading this in our stories. Uh, he's not giving it to red states, right? We're not seeing a lot of... Uh, a rural Texas area is getting this money. It, it appears to be in the largest recipients appear to be in democratic stronghold urban areas. Is that correct? Well, right where David Plouffe said that the monies need to be to turn out the vote. And, and let me go back a little bit with this. You are correct. Um, this communication we have learned now through documents we have obtained started all the way back in March to set up this apparatus and the system by CTCL. One of the first grants that we've identified by CTCL is to the Democrat mayor of Racine, Wisconsin. And they gave him money to go out and recruit other Democrat cities, specifically Green Bay, Kenosha, um, Milwaukee, and I'm, I'm forgetting the fourth right now. And in addition, we have obtained internal emails through a lawsuit brought by the Attorney General of Louisiana against CTCL, in which CTCL reached out to 13 parishes in Louisiana to recruit them to apply for grants because of the demographics in those parishes. Wow. So in other words, they were getting engaged early where they wanted to put the money. And early money is more valuable than late money. Oh, now in response to criticism, they're flowing some money late in the election, but it's not going to have an impact. Right. So. As it stands, the top 20 grants representing $76 million have gone to jurisdictions that gave Hillary Clinton about 5 million votes in 2016 and Donald Trump 2.5 million. Wow. So, so two to one. They're picking a two to, areas that have a two to one Democratic margin. Yes. And that's where the largest grants are. That's where we, we see what we call the Zucker boxes or drop boxes right. popping up on every street corner. All of those things are happening in those key jurisdictions. And that's exactly the roadmap that David Plouffe outlines in his book. It's uh, really remarkable and uh, happening right beneath our noses. And there's been, you know, with the exception of Just the News and a couple other sites, there's not been the level of attention that this sort of unprecedented um, uh, involvement in the election by a billionaire uh, deserves. I mean, the idea that someone in the private sector could pay election judges who are going to make the decisions whether a ballot is good or not on election day is pretty extraordinary. Um, what what do we need to do? What what has to happen for more people to learn about this, to stay involved in this, and to um, uh, adjudicate this in the courts? What, what what are the next steps for you and what you're doing at the Thomas More Society? 
Sure. And and first, I want to thank you for what you do. You know, most most journalism these days, unfortunately, is non-thinking. Just put in a quote from either side, report it, yeah. or, or really the hack reporting, um, you know, trying to push a particular angle on the story rather than digging down and identifying the facts. And I appreciate your willingness to do that. Um, we need more of it, quite frankly, uh, because this story, I believe, after the election, you know, everybody is consumed with where the president is and what he's saying and whether Biden's coming out of the basement right. rather than reporting on these stories right now. But after the election, I believe this story is going to be one of the major national stories. We cannot have elections brought to you by Mark Zuckerberg yeah. or elections brought to you by Charles Koch or Pepsi or Coca-Cola or those types of things. Yeah. We can't do that with elections. So I appreciate you getting in front of it. Um, people can keep up to speed on what's happening with us at www.got-freedom.com, got-freedom.com. And I would encourage people, first of all, it's very important to vote. I, I understand, and this is particularly concerning, where, where private monies are selecting particular areas to help people vote through government action. Um, government in, in a lot of states has made it harder than ever to vote in rural areas. They've shut down polling places. Right. Um, it's, it's more difficult for, for somebody who is in their 70s or 80s and confined to a certain extent and threatened by COVID with pre-existing conditions. They're going to have to drive you know, anywhere from 30 to 50 miles round trip to get out and vote. Um, but any way that you can, people must vote as, as much as possible. So that is an important expression. And, and if you can overcome the obstacles before you make sure that you vote. Secondly, I would encourage everybody to contact people within their state who might be interested in protecting the integrity of the ballot and volunteer to be a poll watcher, volunteer to watch things and make sure that the election is managed appropriately and correctly. There are organizations within each state in which a person can do that. And then thirdly, moving forward, follow what's happening and encourage your policymakers to try to put a stop to this. We can't continue to flow private money directly into the management of our elections. That's a government function. It's, it's like stuffing the umpire's pocket full of cash <laughs> before they call yeah. the first ball and strike. Yeah, you just point. You can't do it. It's an extraordinary moment in our history. Uh, with the few minutes we have left, because I know you have another meeting to go to, uh, if, this, if this election ends up in the courts, because it's close and there are contested issues, what are the big issues, what are the big cases, what are the big practices that we should be watching from a legal perspective? Beyond Zuckerberg, um, postmarking ballots, uh, uh, when ballots are counted, after they come in, before they come in. What Can you give us a little referee of what you think are the three or four most important issues that we should be watching from a legal perspective? Yeah, there's going to be an effort to unilaterally extend the vote count in certain areas, which is uh, patent, patently unfair. The rules of the election should 
apply equally to every ballot. And you shouldn't be able to say, well, in this city, we're going to allow voting to go on for another three days while in other parts of the state, we're going to shut it down. So that's important, treating every voter and every vote equally and not extending a benefit to one class of voters and a detriment to another. So it's going to be extending the vote count. It's going to be accepting ballots that otherwise would not qualify. For example, ballots that are picked up after election day that aren't mailed, that have no postmark, and you can't tell who cast it and when that ballot was cast. Those are some of the messes that we're going to run into um, as as we move forward into election day. And uh, you and I were talking offline here about, I think, what's a very important letter that just came in from the U.S. Postal Service to several members of Congress talking about the importance of postmark, what the practice is, what it will be, and so that there's no doubt about ballots that come in missing a postmark. Can you tell us a little bit about the importance of that letter and what the practice is at least promised going to be going into Election Day? Yes, thanks, John. In in Pennsylvania, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court, for example, extended the deadline for ballots to be received that will be counted. So they made the decision that if ballots are postmarked by Election Day, they can be counted if they're received up to three days after the election. So they set aside a state law and said, we're going to give an additional three days. Now, what we anticipated is that a lot of states decided to mail the ballots out postage prepaid. And typically, the post office does not postmark envelopes that are postage prepaid. So a normal commercial prepaid wouldn't, wouldn't get a postmark. It wouldn't get a postmark. And so if a voter received that ballot, typically, if it is mailed, it would not have a postmark. And so we anticipated there would be an effort to count non-postmark ballots. And when you have drop boxes, you have things like that. There are a lot of non-postmark ballots that that you can't verify were accurately cast in which you could claim you need to count them after Election Day because they were possibly mailed before election day, but we don't have a postmark. So here's what the post office did. The post office says, look, we're postmarking all ballots, whether or not they are postage prepaid. So in other words, we should not count ballots that arrive at a polling place after election day, unless they are postmarked by election day. Every ballot the postmark is, or the post office is postmarking. So that helps. Yeah. That helps a lot. And this is a declaration that if you have to go to court and someone tries to count 100 ballots that don't have postmarks on them, you're going to be able to use, you know, uh, any legal entity to be able to use uh, this letter and say, listen, no, the Postal Service said everything legitimately that was a ballot got postmarked, right? This will be an That's important right. delimiter uh, preemptively, I guess. That's right. It is. Just remarkable. Well, Phil Klein, we can't thank you enough for all you do and for coming on this show specifically and working with our reporters as we try to keep an eye on all the different ways that this election is going to play out in the courts uh, and at the ballot box. We thank you very much. Thank you, John. Great to be with you. All right, folks. When we come back from the commercial break, we're going to wrap things up. An exciting interview with Phil Klein and uh, a lot more to talk about as we head into another weekend. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? 
Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports. We'll be back again tomorrow, Thursday, for our regularly scheduled edition. This was a special Wednesday edition. We're doing a lot of them as we head into the election. We hope you enjoy the extra content, the extra interviews, the extra insights we're trying to give you. Uh, But we'll be back tomorrow with another edition. Until then, stay healthy, stay well, enjoy your families, and make sure, if you get the chance, to cast your ballot. That's what our founding fathers intended when they created this great country 243 years ago. All right, you've been listening to John Solomon Reports, uh, the podcast from justthenews.com. We'll be back again tomorrow. Until then, have a good night.